Every leader has problems. Increasing your leadership intensity won't fix them in a healthy way. You need an increase of clarity. From starting businesses, leading multiple nonprofit organizations, both large and small, and a full family life, Dr. Chris McAllister learned how to shift his thinking to thrive. He will help you order your internal world so you can lead your external world. Welcome to the Site Shift Lead Podcast with Chris McAllister. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super cool of you to be here. And really, this has been something that I've been tossing around the last few weeks as an idea to do. And here we are. It's actually happening. So let me give you a little bit of context on this and let you know what the next uh, season on the podcast is going to be about. So our entry-level coaching program, I call it entry, but it's still pro and deep, is a 12-week really deconstruction, reconstruction of how to live and lead from a secure identity. Uh, We cover just this whole big picture view of what it means to enjoy relationships and make decisions and lead at the edge of your abilities to consistently unblock your creativity. Uh, Up until now... That coaching has looked like um, a number of things. Maybe it's a startup CEO founder wanting to just be at their best version of who they are as a leader because highest performers know how to downshift to accelerate. Uh, Maybe it's people that are stuck and they need to get unblocked. Uh, ER doctor, attorneys, teachers, uh, you know, CEO hiring me to coach his team, just all over the place. It's been so much fun. And I've had really this experience where I walk away from conversations so often and I think I'd love to have other people a part of that. So that's happening today. I put something out on the last podcast and and the email or the lists that I email and said, hey, if you're interested, let's chat about this. And I was looking for a few things. One, somebody that was new to SightShift. They didn't know a lot about what was happening or the terminology or what we're about so that they could jump in with a really fresh perspective. Two, somebody that was super hungry to, to learn and grow. And then three, just a real just big picture view, ambition of who they wanted to be and what they wanted to go after, that they were willing to not make compromises in the short term to go after a long-term vision. And that person came across my way. They were brave enough to reach out. And so, folks, I want you to welcome with me to uh, the podcast today, Eric. Eric, glad you're here. Welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Dude, this is uh, really wild because we're, we're not going to tell you Eric's last name. Um, we want to, you know, maybe the relationship as this moves forward, uh, his comfort level grows to the point that he says, hey, put my name out there. But he's agreed to do something vulnerable by doing this. And so this is going to be really fun. And Eric, we're just jumping in now. Uh, but maybe just for a little bit of context, how did you hear about me or Sight Shift or what led to us sitting here today? I heard about Sight Shift through another podcast that I listened to called 10,000 Hours. And I've been listening to that one for a little while. And I heard an episode that you came on and did a little interview. Um, and it, it was really resonating with me. And then I kept listening to their podcast. And then you came on for a second episode. And I was like, man, this this guy, Chris, knows what he's talking about. Or, you know, it was just really speaking to me. So I, I went and checked out your stuff. And that's how I found this podcast. Crazy. That's so cool. And then you had only listened to how many episodes when you emailed me? Maybe six, six or seven. Whoa. 
just enough to not fully convince you of my insanity uh, <laughs> and scare you away. So, man, here we are. And for for those that don't know, week one, by the time that somebody's sitting down with me for the first chat, which is what we're doing now, they've gotten an email from me, and then they've listened to an audio on the idea. And uh, listeners, for most of this as we walk through it, I'm not going to think to talk to you. I'm going to approach this like I do where I'm with people and just dive in. So, Eric, here we are. We're diving in. Uh, As you listened to the audio, worked through the email, before we get to the exercises that were at the end, tell me what thoughts are there right now. What's lingering? Uh, Where is your head going? Uh, Well, these questions are pretty big. Are you asking me about the exercises or the, or just everything you sent me? Yeah, it could be anywhere you want to start. Where do yeah. you want to start? Um, I, I just really like how, like the stuff you sent me, you said, you, know, you can't change what's defined you up to this point, but you can change how you process it. So that started, that started getting me to reflect on the things that I've done in the past and how I feel about them. Um, let's see here. When you th- when you talk about that reflection, is that something for you that you've done a lot of introspection up to this point, and you're fine tuning it? Uh, where I would say, that? yeah, I would say I tend to avoid introspection as much as I can mm-hmm. because for some reason I'm just programmed that way. But I do try to set aside time just for that. Like I, I have a journal that I write in uh, every week or two. It's not super often, but that's my introspection time. Um, because otherwise I'm very busy. I live in a really crazy city and I'm always being pulled left and right to do different things. And I have trouble saying no to, uh, opportunities that come knocking on my door. So I I fill up my time and and don't really allow myself for too much introspection. So Um, what's, what's a day look like? And this just helps a lot of these questions I'll ask right now, uh, help me get to know you and where we head the next, you know, 12 weeks, uh, take me into a day of your crazy. Okay. Uh, so I wake up around 6.30, and I get ready uh, for the day, shower, eat something, have some coffee. Uh, I usually do some writing. I, I run a blog, so I try to do that early in the morning to get it done before I go off to my day job, which is uh, in Manhattan. I work at an agency doing graphic design. I work there from around 10 until 6.30 with a, a short lunch break. And after that, I usually come home pretty drained because I've been up since 6.30, um, make some dinner, maybe do a little bit more personal work or writing, getting ready for my weekly blog posts. And uh, I have a roommate now. That's a new thing. I have a couple of roommates, so I, I hang out with them sometimes. And a lot of times I'll also fill up my, my evening with you know activities, go meet friends for for a drink or, um, go to an event or something and then pretty much get, get to bed usually around midnight or so. So probably a little bit too late if I want to get up at six 30, but that's, that's sort of a day in my life. Yeah. Thanks for the, yeah. the, the snapshot of that. So when you, when we talk about introspection, one of the things that we'll do as we move forward is I'll teach you not only how to dive deep, but to do it very efficiently uh, in just a matter of a few seconds, how to get to the core of something that's happening. And then what that does, it's, it's just sharpening and fine-tuning that muscle. Um, what I like to say is 
at this point, what we don't realize, we've evolved to think the way that we do. Because of evolutionary biology, uh, we've come to this place that when you know, we're in the cave, if you don't like me, I don't get my share of the woolly mammoth meat. And if I don't contribute, I'm going to get kicked out. And if I don't get to stay in the cave, I die. So, you know, tens of thousands of years have evolved for us to say, I need people to like me and I cannot feel good about myself if I'm not contributing. So we process everything in our brain through that. Uh, We process everything in our brain through identity. And everything that's happening is this constant back and forth of, I feel a false threat. I'm not secure because people don't like me. I'm not secure because I'm not contributing. And so this first thing that we're doing, what this week is about, is learning to pause the mental mechanism that kicks in that wants to make you think you're defined by what you do or what you want to do or what you've done. You're defined by how people think of you if they like you. So that the way that I word that is, that's building your identity around your mission or your community. And what we want to learn to do is pause that mental mechanism to sequence our thinking so that we can say, oh, my identity is separate from what I do. My identity is separate from my relationships. They can inform and shape and be a part of the process, but I need to learn who I am apart from those. So the first thing I want to ask you is, as I walked through that concept, did that concept of identity, mission, community, and separating those three out make sense? Yeah, definitely. It does. Uh, but getting to the core of like who you are, that was one of the questions you asked me. Who are you? And it's a, it's a really difficult question because you're not asking what I do. You're not asking how old I am, where I live, or what makes me come alive, although you said those things can shape it. You're simply asking me who I am, and I feel like the only answer that I can give to that is just like adjectives to describe my personality. Yeah, yeah. And that is a normal response to feel. Um, One of the ways I like to describe this is it's kind of like going to the gym. And uh, tell me about physical activity, stuff you like to do. This will come back for like week seven, but just curious. Sure. I'm really into action sports. Okay. My favorite uh, is skateboarding. So mm-hmm. I, I skate every single day. I didn't. Really, I left that out of my day in the life. But I skate every day to the subway, which takes me into work, and that's sort of my little release. Uh, that's my morning exercise. It's about half a mile, just skateboarding to the subway. And then on the weekends, I go out with my friends skating, and I'll, I'll spend a few hours usually uh, at a skate park or skating around. And then I'm also really into other board sports, mostly like snowboarding, surfing, that kind of stuff. Dude, that sounds really fun. Okay, so skateboarding in New York City, I, forgive me for the stereotyping of this. Do you know Splinter? I don't think I know Splinter. I, think, I might have heard of Splinter, but... <laughs> it makes me think of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I freaking oh, uh... grew up on that cartoon <laughs> as a kid, and so I picture you skateboarding in like the sewers and hanging out with Splinter and getting <laughs> ninja lessons. Uh... <laughs> I thought you meant like a skateboarding company or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was awesome. So, But the idea there is, so when you're watching somebody that is skateboarding for the first time, and let's say that they've got both of their feet up at the front of the board, right? Not in a way that they're doing a trick, not in a way that they're like testing the edges, but in a way that their form, right, is off. 
you can notice that. I love running, and uh, I, you know, I can see somebody when their form, you know, their head is down or whatever. They're doing more damage than good by engaging the activity with bad form because it forms bad muscle memory. Does that make sense? Yeah. So an example to use is like if you go to the gym and you're squatting, I could say, show me your form as you squat. And then I'll say, okay, let's put a bar up there. Your form may have been good with no weight, but let's put a bar on there and let's put some weight on it. And now your knees buckle in and your ankles turn out to compensate for that weight. You're actually doing more harm than good by repeating this exercise because you're forming bad muscle memory. What the, the connection point is when we engage life, when we engage it from an insecure identity, we're actually deforming. We're becoming a less whole version of ourselves. Uh, we're not experiencing the full uh, beauty of our humanity. So we need to learn what that form is. And that form is engaging life through a secure identity. So what I've got to do at the beginning is increase the stress load so that I can come beside you and see, oh, your ankles turned out here. Oh, you're moving both of your feet to the board, to the front of the board. Stand this way. This is a stable position. So that's why I asked that question, who are you? And everybody that struggles with this, which is, which is everybody, is like, I, you know, I've got adjectives. That's it. This is like a really hard thing to ask. And then the next thing that I'm asking is, let's consider who you are. That, you know, that, that question that says, what if the objective you're trying to accomplish doesn't work? What if the relational role you're trying to fulfill doesn't happen like you want? Um, I want to explain why I'm asking that question, but before I do, tell me what you wrestled with in that. Uh, do you mean tell me the tell you the adjectives that I came up with? Well, so yeah, you can tell me the adjectives you came up with and who are you, and then tell me about the question where I said, "What if the thing you're trying to accomplish doesn't work? What if oh. the role you're fulfilling doesn't happen?" I'd like to hear both of those. Yeah, sure. So the adjectives that I came up with uh, to describe who I am are ambitious, determined, creative, uh, empathetic, hardworking, and fun-loving. Cool. And I'm trying to look for that question here. Basically, yeah, the worst possible outcome if I fail at the objective or the relational roles that I fulfill. Yeah. The worst possible, the worst possible outcome um, if I fail at this objective or at the, my roles would be that I end up broke with no job, not able to pay my rent. Uh, I would probably feel pretty alone if I didn't have my friends uh, or my my coworkers and stuff to to care about me at all. That's pretty much the worst possible outcome. I would just feel I would be broke and alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm gonna push a little bit, and you may not have the answers for some of this, and that's okay because this is me stretching, helping you actually stretch the introspective muscle. Okay. And I'm not going to sure. push too hard that we tear the muscle, but I'm just going to push. I've, I've done hot yoga, uh, over the last few Sundays, a couple times. And, uh, I'm like, I can't stretch further. And then it's like, okay, do that routine again or that pose again and stretch harder. And I'm like, ah, uh, so it'll feel a little bit like that. Okay. So you're broke. Like this is going to sound crazy. And I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this in a minute, but imagine it broke nothing and you're out what's it mean about who you are 
Does it diminish your identity? Does it take away? What would you be afraid of to look somebody that you want to respect you in the eye and say, I have nothing? What would you be afraid they would think about you? I guess if I told someone that, that I was broke or if someone knew that I was broke, uh, they would, I would be thinking about all the assumptions, you know, maybe he's broke because he's not hardworking or he's not, uh, like he made a, he made a really bad risk and, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what assumptions they're making because I, I shouldn't really care, especially if I don't, I mean, you said if I respect them, right? Like I, it's someone who I want to gain their respect. Yep. So I don't know. It just seems like, like I wouldn't feel good about myself for sure. Yeah. If, uh, if I wanted someone to respect me and I kind of was running through all the assumptions they were making, it wouldn't feel good on my identity at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's exactly it. I mean, the fact that you recognize that, I mean, for some people, it's really hard for them to even put it into words there. So way to go. I wouldn't feel good about myself. So it's not that I'm afraid that they think that I'm not a hard worker. It's not that I'm afraid that they think that I made bad decisions, just using the two things you said. At the core of it is I'm afraid of, yeah, that I couldn't feel good about who I am. I'm afraid that I won't feel good about who I am because really this is the idea. Uh, there's a concept called shame. Um, we, I think we chatted about this real quick as we were getting ready to, to chat. Uh, you, you've read some of Brene Brown stuff, correct? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> okay. But forgive me, man. I just talked yeah. to a lot of people. And so, uh, Bre- good. no, yeah, thanks. Brene Brown had a couple of Ted talks go viral. She's had some business books, um, spread like crazy and definitely I recommend her stuff. Um, but she's probably got the most popular voice right now, distinguishing between two concepts, shame and guilt. Um, I put some stuff on in print on this you know, years ago, but it was obscure. (laughs) I'm messing around. But the idea here is shame and guilt are two different states. Guilt's when you feel bad about what you've done. Shame's when you feel bad about who you are. Now, here's what we've done. We've conflated these two. We've confused them. So, you know, when I'm working with uh, coaching leaders, if they go into the sales meeting and they say to the sales staff, guys, you're doing this and it's scaring away the client. It's costing us money. Stop. People hear that through their own fear and insecurity. Ah, oh, he wishes I wasn't here. Ah, oh, he thinks that doesn't have. He thinks I don't have it together. Oh, I'm not worthy to her because I'm not performing. Now again, people aren't consciously realizing their identity fear at that moment, and they're not even consciously able to put it into those words. But that's what's driving them. How much more brilliant if the leader can come into the room and he or she can say, hey, team, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to take the next mountain together. What's going to keep us from taking the next mountain, though, is when you do this behavior, you chase away the client. So now what we've separated, and this is key, two concepts, Eric, personhood and performance. Personhood, I'm glad you're here on the team. Performance, don't do this. Uh, when I am, you know, so I've got three daughters and to one of my daughters, I'm like, look, when you treat your sister this way, I don't like it. 
when you throw that cup of water on her, <laughs> and that angers her, that angers me, stop. Now, if I correct that behavior this way, what are you doing? What are you thinking throwing that on your sister? What? Now, I haven't separated personhood and performance. I'm just coming down hard on the behavior. Uh, not that I have to do this every time, right? Sophisticated, smart leaders understand you don't have to wear this principle out, but that you are paying attention to it so that you can say, oh, I need to make sure that they know, hey, love you. I think you're an amazing person. When you do that to your sister, that hurts the relationship. You have to stop. So we want to separate personhood performance. Now, here's the thing. Guilt and performance are connected. Personhood and shame are connected. We know pretty well, especially in a Western society, how to deal with or how to talk about guilt. I feel bad about what I did. What we don't understand is how that this informs our identity because we confuse, I feel bad about what I did. Shame, therefore I must be bad. So we want to separate the two. How do we do that? When we understand that what is the block of a secure identity is always shame when we feel bad about who we are. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. So any thoughts or questions about that? Uh, no, just keep rolling. Okay, so shame uh, causes us to feel insecure in our identity. Fear is what surfaces that shame. Fear is what puts a name to that shame, if you will which we're going to do that. So what I'm going to send you for week two, and this will be our chat for next week, is a walkthrough of the fears, the shame-based fears of our identity. Um, so Seth Godin talks about the essence of leadership is to be aware of your fear. I want to help you get precise awareness of that fear. Because the more that you can recognize with uh, precision this is the shame-based fear in my identity. The more that you'll make clear decisions, we'll get to that in week nine, the more that you can enjoy relationships, the more that you can learn how to bring the unobstructed expression of who you are into what you do, the more you learn to recognize the small moments when you can wake up to all kinds of potential for change. So we're going to go deep in the fears next week. For now, I just want to make sure that it's really clear that what blocks us from being clear in our mission, and building the party, the community that we would want to join, not trying to break into somebody else's, is always a secure identity. And we recognize where we're insecure by understanding, oh, shame. I feel a false threat to my identity. So let me break this down some more. The process that I'll teach you through this is how to position yourself to continually live out of a secure identity. Because a secure identity overflows to a clear mission, and a clear mission builds and attracts community. So somebody says, I want to have incredible relationships. Well, the best relationships come out of a shared climb or pursuit or adventure. Uh, they come out of a context when there is no shame. When there is no shame, you get to relate and feel the joy of, I don't have anything to prove or hide. I get to just be with you. Beautiful. So we want to we have a party that we build. We're not trying to break into somebody else's party. How do we do that? We get clear about our mission. How do we get clear about our mission that just transcends our job? I mean, this is like overarching, which we'll go deep onto that in week eight. To do those two things, 
mission and community, we figure out identity. So what we're going to spend the next four weeks doing is going deep in the problem. So if you want to think about it this way, the first four weeks are deep in the problem. Next four weeks are in solution. Next four weeks are in results. It's very normal that as we go through the problem these first four weeks, it's like, oh, I don't... I don't want to see my shame anymore. I don't want to see my fear anymore. I'm seeing it in the smallest moments. And it's going to feel like I'm throwing you out there to drown. But I'll keep throwing a life raft. And I'm going to teach you how to save yourself. And how to swim back. And find your secure ground and your freedom. But it's going to be going deep with this concept of shame. Getting precision about where I feel bad about who I am. And how do we do that? We manufacture it by imagining the worst-case scenario. Now, that's a crazy thing, and I'm going to explain that more, but I want to check in with you right now. Thoughts or questions? Uh, yeah, I'm not really excited to, to, to dive deep into the problem for the next four weeks. Like you said, I feel like I'm going to be noticing every little, every little moment of the problem, but I think that once we get past that, it'll be worth it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I wanted to speak directly to that because it's very normal to feel that. It's like week three, I think I'm, I'm getting worse. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. You're just noticing more. And what's crazy is it's kind of like a room. The more you learn to fill the room of who you are with your secure presence, your secure identity, then you're going to have new responsibilities in life. Uh, maybe new relational commitments, maybe new uh, pursuits that you go after with your mission and you're putting yourself out there. It's like adding another room. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm actually moving backward. I'm, I'm, I'm insecure again. No, you're possessing new space. You're growing your capacity. Um, and it's just going to feel that way. There are four stages of learning. Unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence. I forget who came up with this. Um, conscious competence and then unconscious competence. And so you're moving forward in these stages. And so what we're doing right now at the beginning is we're getting aware. <laughs> and yeah, it's painful. But it's, it's kind of like this thing that moves five steps forward, two steps back, four steps forward, one step back. We'll keep moving it and I'll stay beside you to to keep that flow unblocked. Because uh, that's how I close the email with you for this week one. We want to hack your flow state. Flow is the absence of fear. It's when your cortex is calmed down. You're not processing everything as a false threat to your identity. So if I get an email from a client and they're upset about something, maybe it's a legitimate thing that I need to fix. Maybe it's something I need to redefine the boundary on. Maybe I just need to comfort them. When I'm secure in who I am, I can take the next right step rather than just react out of fear and go, oh, they're questioning my performance. Therefore, I'm not worthy. I suck as a human being. Now, again, not everybody is processing it that dramatically, but it's happening internally. And this is why we become our own worst enemy. So we'll go deeper on that next week. But yeah, you're tracking with me identity, mission, community, and why we're focused so much on identity. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about why I have you imagine like this, you know, being broken, then not being able to feel good about yourself. So the more popular term that's used is visualization. Um, and so sometimes in like the hype of self-help, 
It's like if you just visualize your dreams, they can come true. Well, then every Olympic athlete that visualized themselves winning gold would win gold. Why doesn't that happen? What's going on with Tiger Woods right now? Do you follow golf much? I don't. (laughs) Dude, me neither. I can't stand to watch it. Like, people watch it on television. I am out in two minutes. Uh, But I know enough to know about the uh, that, uh, you know, Tiger's not got his mojo right now, right? Um, He may never have uh, a fire for golf like he did before. Like, that motivation may just be gone. It may be done. You can't reattach yourself to old motivations. Uh, He may have to find a new motivation in a new pursuit. He might get a new motivation for golf. Either way, it's going to come when he releases being attached to the results and enters back into the flow of play. And that can only happen when you're secure in who you are regardless of the results. And that's what we want to learn to do with this mental contrasting that I'm asking you to imagine the worst case scenario because what we're going to we're going to come back to this multiple times. We're going to learn to imagine the best and the worst case scenario so you can learn who Eric is apart from the results. Um, so for me, and I just happened to share this in a previous podcast, so I'm going to do it real brief, but was headed to speak somewhere, and this is just an example of this. I pictured it going horrible and them throwing fruit at me. Why fruit? I don't know. It could have been rocks, but I'm gentle to myself. <laughs> I'm going to be nice to myself. Uh, and uh, then I pictured it going awesome, and they're, like, putting me up on their shoulders and, like, yeah, Chris is the man. He helps us understand the simplicity and beauty of life or whatever crazy phrases <laughs> uh, I would have them say. But here's the thing. I pictured myself walking out the door when it went bad, head held high, not in a hyped, forced, arrogant way, but in a way that says I'm not defined by what happened. I'm secure in who I am. I pictured myself leaving when it went awesome and go, okay, I can feel all the good feels from this. I can celebrate it. But whether I win or lose, I'm not less than or more than. I can, I can cry with the loss. I can hurt over it. I can grieve it out. I can celebrate the win. But either way, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep growing. So that's why I share the story in the audio I sent you about the eviction. Because that's where I stumbled into this. And come to find out, like, samurai warriors have been using this principle. I mean, this is like ancient, timeless wisdom for thousands of years across different cultures. But I'm sitting on the deck of our house, and I'm facing eviction. And I've got two in my family that are severely allergic to mold. And, you know, what if we have to move into a moldy apartment? Just all these sensualized fears in my head. And, And I'm sitting there, and I go, okay, am I less than... In my identity? Am I less than as a human being? Am I less than as a person if we get evicted? Am I more than if we stay? My identity is fixed and constant, secure, regardless. And this is what I mean by false threat. The daily rhythm of your life, uh, for, for the daily rhythm for most people, is hiding or proving which will set us up for next week. We'll get into that. Reacting to the circumstances, to the relationships from a standpoint of, oh no, if it doesn't go this way, I'll be less than in my identity. If it doesn't go this way, I'll be, or if it goes this way and I win, I'll be more than. No. 
All that's a false threat. So what we'll do next week is get you precision on where your Achilles heel with this is. So for me, it's this. My worth equals my performance. So if I perform, then I'm worthy. So I can look in the mirror and go, okay, if we get evicted, I'm still worthy as a human being. Just because I'm breathing, I'm alive. Well, that changes how I move through my day. That makes me resilient because I've separated personhood and performance. So does the concept of this mental contrasting positive-negative make sense? Yeah. Perfect. Uh, does, were you able to, so you pictured it and you, you know, obviously, or you answered the question because you were like, okay, if I go broke this. So what I'd like for you to do the next week, in addition to the exercises that are in the email, is take an, take an example and do a mental contrasting. Picture it going bad. Picture it going awesome. Maybe it's a presentation you have at work. Maybe it's something you're delivering to a client. Maybe it's a conversation you're having with a friend. Whatever it is. Um, maybe it's going back and looking at a past circumstance. Have you had any kind of past circumstance that you feel like kind of rocked you to your core? Do you mean something that went well or went poor, poorly? Something that went bad or you were like, oh, oh. my gosh, what's going on? Yes, definitely. Okay, so we'll get into that week three and four. Uh, I'm restraining right now because I always week one, I want to like hear the whole story of people's lives. Uh, but we will get into that more in week three and four. But for now, you can even look back at that when you listen to the fears that's in the second audio that I'm going to send you and think through what fear was this circumstance falsely telling me is real. <laughs> it felt real. But nothing can take away from your identity. So the modern way that... So mental contrasting makes sense. I'm asking you to take something and do that with, uh, you know, in the coming week. The modern way that some people are tackling this conversation is to say, well, the way that we're free of all this pain is just to recognize self as an illusion. And I will grant that how to define self is hard. It's nebulous. I'm actually going to make a stab at it. I forget which week, and, and it'll make sense why I'm explaining it the way that I do that specific week. But for now, it's just recognizing we all want comfort in our shame. And so I can't track with the fact that the sense of self is an illusion because I want to know that I'm worthy apart from my performance, and I can't tell myself just to get over that. Um, and that's what you're going to be looking for as we go to week two. Um, okay, thoughts, questions, things to challenge, concerns, any of that right now? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think this is all make, starting to make sense. It's just all very uh, intangible. I guess once we go through more exercises, it'll start to make more sense. Yes. Like, I, I get it uh, on the top level, mm-hmm. but once we dive in deeper... Uh, you know, I'll start to be able to relate it more to my situations in my life. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. We, d- we didn't uh, get through all of our questions that you asked me, but I wasn't sure if they were all important. No, totally are. So I want to come in on what you just said, and we'll come back to that. Very much uh, this first week, 30,000-foot level, teaching you the big idea, chatting on it, making sure it's understood. Next week, it's about to go or with what I'll send you today for next week's convo, oh, this is where fear is manifesting itself in my life. 
And then as we continue to move forward, you know, week six and seven, I'm going to put two tools in your hand, resources that you can use to get secure in an instant on demand as you need it, how to teach yourself a new baseline, you know, so different things like that. But yeah, we are taking our time to move real slow through setting the groundwork, um, because the more that your brain learns to organize around this, the less it's about me giving you tactics and the more it's about you developing your own tactics. Now, I'll be here to do that and we'll chat on it. And as much as you have questions for me uh, from the tactics of calendaring and flow and what you know, the rhythm of your day looks like and everything, I am here to help on all that. But more importantly, I want to position you and, and this isn't cheesy for me. I feel this in my bones to be your own guru, to be your own prophet, to be your own source of wisdom. Um, so, yeah, with the, with the second question in the diagnostic tool I sent you, assessing the why behind your actions, uh, any, because this will just help me as we move forward, anything that you came to an insight or anything you want to share on what you gain or lose if you accomplish the objective you're currently focused on achieving? Well, the big objective that I'm currently focusing on that I didn't really mention before is that I'm trying to transition out of my job and into running my own business. Mm. So when you asked me this question, that's what I thought of because uh, I'm trying to make that a reality over the next, the course of the next few months. Um, so if I, if I do accomplish this objective, I gain a greater creative freedom, ability to make more work that matters, uh, better and happier like day-to-day uh, balance, happier, healthier um, life, and just the sheer uh, satisfaction of accomplishing the goal. Yeah. And then the bonus of that is I also get to help others along the way because my business is is part of that. Part, mm-hmm. of my, part of my business does that. And then also sort of creating a little tribe that supports me and my ventures, leaving my mark on the world, et cetera. And then if it doesn't work out... Uh, if it doesn't work out, yeah, I mean, I could end up, like you said before, like I said before, broke, not really able to pay my bills and not feeling like in such a great place about who I am. So, but I know that along the way, even if that does happen, I would learn a lot. So I'm not, that's why I'm not afraid to do this. I feel like ready to take on this challenge of, of starting my own thing, because I know that if I do have to get a job later on, I can do it. And, uh, I would be probably better equipped anyway. Right on, man. This is going to be an incredible uh, 12 weeks that that's happening at the same time, or at least that that's what's in your mind and you're preparing for. Because, um, yeah, you know, done a number of different things and had a pretty massive failure uh, with a business, um, had some turnarounds, and nothing has taught me who I am, like the winning and losing in business and uh, committed relationships, you know, as a, as a husband and as a father. Um, and all of that opens up more potential to learn who I am, which allows me to experience the beauty and joy of life. I feel deeper. I see deeper. I can hear deeper. Um, everything that's happening is, is a gift, I learn how to tap into my power in a deeper way in who I am. So, dude, that's going to be awesome. Any thoughts or questions for me as we head into week two? 
I guess I, I just really want I want to feel that way about myself. I want to be able to feel and hear deeper, like you said. So a little bit skeptical, not going to lie. Um, yeah. Just because 12 weeks is a short amount of time. Uh, to It's both the long and a short amount of time. You can, you can do a lot in 12 weeks, but in the end, it really takes a while to form a habit and to, to really gain those kinds of skills, I imagine. So I'm a little skeptical, but um, I definitely have hope that, that I could get there and at least be on my way somewhere in a better direction for that, for those kinds of things. Yeah, man. Thank you for saying that. I mean, even saying that out loud, uh, it, it brings freedom to the dialogue and, um, and it just, it makes me excited to, to take this, uh, to take these steps with you these next 11 weeks, because, um, that means you're going to be more engaged. This isn't something you're just going through the motions. You're like, let's see what this can do. And uh, I will help you get out of your own way. And it's going to be a blast, man. That excites me. Awesome. Well, you'll get week two from me. It'll be a walkthrough of the fears. Don't approach it in a way like, I got to analyze this and figure this out perfectly before our next chat. You can't analyze your way into flow. Just listen to it. Be present with it. Feel it. It'll give you things to start noticing throughout your week. And as you notice those things, uh, it'll continue to open up awareness. And then I'll chat with you and ask questions and walk you through things that may give you that insight while we're chatting, or it may come later. Sometimes for weeks, it's week seven or eight when it drops big for people. Um, either way, you will get some stuff to chew on and uh, we'll take it a step deeper as we head to next week, man. Thanks so much for being here, being engaged. Uh, say hi to Splinter for me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Peace, buddy. Peace. This has been The Sight Shift, lead podcast with Chris McAllister. Thank you for listening.